welcome to the 14th episode of In The Between. My name is Nadia. And this is Danny. And today we're going to talk about time. Time and fashion. And this is motivated by the announcement from the Metropolitan Museum of Arts Costume Institute um, announcing its 2020 theme, which is about time, fashion and duration. Yep, and it's really... It's a bit complex. There's a lot of different things that were tried were broken down and Vogue even mentioned that 24 hours later people were still puzzled over what the celebrities would be wearing mm-hmm. <laughs> you know the first time well when I first read it I thought someone should wear a clock <laughs> or like bring back the watch fob or something yeah. like that I don't know Yeah, so that's very literal obviously um, but it seems like the exhibition is anything but yeah. yeah so it's in general it's celebrating the 150 years of the met in general mm. so they are trying to reference a lot of their collection and what the statements from Andrew Bolton the curator um, mentioned as well was that it would try to cover 150 years of fashion history mostly from their own collection which is a really um, I mean it seems like a very straightforward and linear process so I mm. guess that's why they decided to introduce a more anachronistic way of looking at it and this is a quote from Bolton that says it's a reimagining of fashion history that's fragmented discontinuous and heterogeneous Mm. and it seems like then there would be um, room for multiple narratives I mean it says here that it's a disruptive timeline Mm -hmm. so it's about disrupting things complicating things yes um which will throw up questions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good thing that people are not so certain about like, oh, what's that going to be like? And yeah. what are the celebrities going to wear? Well, actually what's really funny to me is that when we think about the Met and how it has a theme, mm-hmm. it's not immediately about the exhibition, but like, well, what would the celebrities wear? <laughs> you know, like that's become <laughs> the thing. main attraction. Mm-hmm. And so they've already selected the 160, about 160 objects that they will be presenting. And Andrew Bolton has already... Um, kind of given the structure of the show and he said that there will be two time scales one that is very linear from ni- from 1870 to 2020 so um, that's supposed to signify modernity but it was very interesting that he's saying that they are going to use only black garments for it hmm. because a lot of different eras have very specific colours that we would think about right? and some colours were not invented in so- some eras so that's a strange okay decision <laughs> is it just so that there's like one more criterion to you know allow the curator to select you know from these really vast Perhaps, archives yeah and I mean black also came, came into fashion through mourning so mm-hmm. it, it's that's why I feel like it's a very specific colour and I'm wondering why he chose that and mm. there will be a counter chronology in mostly white but with some flashes of colour. And this counter-chronology would be garments that kind of, as quote-unquote, are folds in time. So things that don't seem really from one era or the other or seem to be in the wrong time zone. Okay. And he was inspired by this film, um, Orlando, where Tilda Swinton goes into a maze in a robe la Frances from the 1700s and exits the maze in present-day 1850s England. And that transition of the of the garments and the time travel aspect is what they're going to be honing in on. And it seems a bit whimsical. 
with the with the way that they're going to um, kind of disrupt that linear timeline. Yeah. And I, I read also that um, Virginia Woolf is going to be the show's ghost narrator. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously, the Orlando is from um, Woolf, right? Yes. And also, there would be references to Mrs. Dalloway and to the lighthouse. And the quotes from her writing will kind of be peppered throughout the exhibition mm-hmm. and provide some kind of anchor or some kind of context for us to understand um, the flow. That's quite interesting that they're using literature and and to translate that into a visual medium as fashion. Yeah. And how seemingly unrelated they could be, but at the same time, it kind of seems to make sense, like how they used Susan Sontag's text for camp as well. That's right. And I mean, to add even more layers, I mean, just (laughs) to complicate matters further, um, Michael Cunningham, whose novel The Hours was a postmodernist, postmodernist reading of Mrs. Dalloway, which won the 1999 Pulitzer Prize, will also contribute a short story to the exhibition's mm. catalogue. <laughs> and Bolton uh, explains this by saying that he's always liked Wolf's version of time, um, of being a continuum, of there being like no you know, discernible beginning, middle or end, that is just one fat middle. And that's how he's always felt the same about fashion, that fashion is the present. Yeah, I love yeah. that quote too. And it reminds me of whenever I would go to fashion history conferences in London, Mm. one thing that fashion historians often say is that especially designing or like recreating historical garments or even looking at historical garments, our view is always tinted by the present. So we're always looking at historical objects or historical things based on our knowledge right now Mm. so even when costume designers are trying to recreate an era that's really impossible because they would make slight changes or just the fact that maybe some of the materials are not available anymore makes it such that they have to create historical garments that are peppered by the present and this reminds me so much of a very specific example from Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette film Mm. which is set in the late eighteenth in the late seventeen seventies, um, and it's meant to be talking about the life of Mary Antoinette. And even though the costumes are very have been very well researched, she did pick a very specific color palette that perhaps wasn't really true at that time. No, yeah. And there's this specific scene where uh, Kristen Dunst as Marie Antoinette is choosing shoes like there's a lot of shoes on the ground and there's this is that scene where I want candy is playing um, and the there is a converse high cut sneaker in the corner that you can see and even though obviously she would Marie Antoinette will never have been wearing converse sneakers mm-hmm. what she was trying to do was to draw the links between teenagers now and a, a shoe that a teenager would wear and to remind us that that Marie Antoinette was a teen queen. Yeah. Actually, it's interesting you bring these two examples up because, you know, if we think about um, how we're always thinking, well, now we look back and we can pick and choose from different eras and like, you know, the 70s are back, the 80s are back, the 90s are back. <laughs> and I think sometimes my students forget, um, you know, that like in the 60s, the designers were also looking back, right? Mm-hmm. And they were looking at like, 
designs from previous eras and know what they would design. And so we are kind of like building upon each other's work. There's like intertextuality, there are references, there are homages being paid. Um, so it's not like everything is, of course, centered on us again, where we are the only ones who have looked back in time, right? Mm-hmm. Because designers from every decade, every era would also be looking back, looking forward, looking to the future as well. Yeah. Because sometimes with fashion design, I mean, it's not only about like seeing what has been done or what is being done around them, but also what could be done in the future. Um, yeah. So I quite enjoy this idea of using time as a reference for this exhibition that um, Bolton is curating. But I'm also concerned or, or wondering about like the archives, you know, and what they're going to be using. Is it going to be very... American, very European, mm. you know, because then sometimes when you're fixated on one particular criterion to curate, then other things kind of become just yeah. like a given, I mean, you know? I mean, you, yeah, imagine if they pick like a kimono from 1870s right. and how would that pan out in, yeah, it's a bit, yeah. I mean, it's no, quite interesting. Yeah, and no matter what you do, you can obviously not cover all grounds yes. in the exhibition. I mean, we get that. But, you know, this is kind of what made me think about it. You know, you were saying earlier that this exhibition seems to refer to... I mean, we don't know for sure. Yeah. But it seems to refer to Judith Clark's exhibition, Spectres, When Fashion Turns Back, which was at the Victorian Albert Museum in 2005. Mm-hmm. And the reason... Um, Danny first thought that it seemed pretty similar was the the words, right, that yeah. were used to describe yeah. um, both exhibitions. Well, one that's already been done and one that's about to be done. Yeah, exactly. So, Spectrus was um, first done at the Momo and then, like, a large version of it mm. was done at the Victorian Albert Museum. Mm. And it took at its core another text. So, um, Evans' Fashion at the Edge Carolyn Evans. Sorry, yeah. yes, Carolyn mm. Evans, Fashion at the Edge. And Carolyn Evans uses a lot of theories from um, philosophers like uh, Walter Benjamin, who had this idea of time as not linear, but as, as um, v- yeah, anachronistic, and it kind of went, it, it's almost like a maze, or even like, uh, it just was not, it was something that was always happening at the same time. Right. So it's more like a human version of time. Like, I mean, we don't experience time chronologically in that sense, right? And we think about memories, which is one of the words that actually um, jumps out at me from the Spectres writer. Yeah. That Spectres set out to reveal the shadows and experiences that formed a fashion memory in contemporary mm. dress. So, yeah. I mean, we get that time marches on and, like, that is a fact. Yes. But... Um, the way we experience time, the way we remember things from the past and the way we, you know, kind of uh, reference that as well in yeah. our work is not that straightforward, not that linear. And this exhibition was seminal because it was a very... It was an exhibition that took something quite conceptual about fashion theory, this idea that fashion's always referencing itself, fashion is looking to the past and to the present and the future at the same time and how... Um, there's always this ghost, this specter of the past in present fashion. And this is quite, um, in the in Carolyn Evans' text, it's quite a, it's a theoretical stance, but she managed to do it in a way, the way that she created the exhibition was very uh, visceral and mm. something that people could see with their own eyes without having to read large chunks of text. So, for example, one of the key parts of the exhibition was this uh two cocks like the cocks on a clock 
that were rotating mm-hmm. and on each side there will be different garments and sometimes when two garments would come uh, um, next to each other you could see the the similarities between their styles even if they were from different eras or different designers mm-hmm. and just with that simple rotation and movement already in the audience that entered that space they would understand this idea of yes fashion's always looking back looking forward mm. um, and kind of displaced in its timeline yeah for sure and you know when we look at the title of the exhibition you know about time fashion and duration I mean about time is kind of has two meanings for me I think like it is about time about the concept of time itself but it also seems to be a call to action right like well it's about time this happened sort of thing and um, Bolton did say that you know the dual timelines that you were explaining to us earlier was to try to unravel the tension in fashion between change and endurance and transience and permanence and that ultimately um, the exhibition or the theme in general advocates for a slowing down of fashion. Mm. Yeah, so maybe it's also, yeah, a call to action, like what is about time, you know, that we kind of slow down fashion a little bit. Maybe that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And um, perhaps we should also explain why we thought that, you know, this Judith Clark's exhibition Spectres might be um, one of the motivations or one of the references for this theme because when we talk about um, the China exhibition, right? China, China Through the Looking Philly, Glass. Yeah. yeah. So, of course, you know, there's been that book um, by... China Chic by yeah, Valerie Steele. And John Major, right? Mm. And, you know... In 1999. Yeah, and that was such an iconic book, like a landmark book. It's been 20 years since, you know, but that was pretty much, you know, the the book that kind of got people, I think, thinking about um, China and its relation to fashion and how it is not something that's Eurocentric or that is um, premised in the West in general. Yeah. So I think, you know, if we are to think about how everything refers to each other and there is intertextuality, then we can see how all of this builds into something that we can think about, we can consider. Um, and we're, of course, very excited to see yeah. <laughs> not only the exhibition, but probably, first of all, the celebrities <laughs> wear. We'll probably have an episode about that in itself. Um, but earlier on, you were talking about Sofia Coppola and Marie Antoinette. And, of course, the... Um, the anachronism of like having those converse shoes in that film mm-hmm. it's like a tongue-in-cheek kind of reference yes. right and you know we are also seeing um, in terms of like the slowing down of fashion in terms of like looking back in fashion uh, the the prairie look right we've been yeah. actually we've been obsessing about it for yes, a while for a, lo- a while yeah and we keep wanting to talk about it in our podcast so episodes, we will talk so, about it yes, today <laughs> we're gonna force it in somehow <laughs> you can see how hard we're trying to like yeah. link it to the the matte yeah. theme um but you know in terms of like Sophie Coppola's Marie Antoinette there's also been for instance um let's see well Handmaid's Tale the Handmaid's Tale Mm, yep. based on the 1985 novel of the same name by Margaret Atwood, has been a really successful uh, web television series. And it's about June, right? Um, a woman who lives as a concubine to um, a Galadian officer and his wife. Okay, I, I don't really know um, exactly what the story is about because I haven't watched it. Have you watched it, Danny? Yes. Okay, good. So maybe you talk about it then. But, um, I mean, the... The key thing about The Handmaid's Tale yeah. is that it's meant to be... Um, it kind of looks like it's 
it's meant to be like a dystopian future, mm. but the costuming is referencing a lot of very um, of of communities that are stuck in time in some way. So the there's a fantastic video of the costume designer talking about her references, and she was mentioning how she was looking at the bonnets of the Amy. Amish and the Mormons in America and like this kind of communities that cut themselves off from modern modernity and society. So you can see in in the costuming that they've got this very modest looking um, dresses and these bonnets from the 1800s and this idea of like an, an we're, when we're looking at films or TV shows that are portraying the future, they often try to come up with very futuristic looks. But this one very intentionally used um, something from the past to kind of create this dystopian future, mm. which I found, I mean, that was the interesting part for me mm. on how they created that. Yeah. And another costume designer that did the same thing, I mean, many of them do, do that, but f- have you watched her? No, um, I have not. And in that film also, which is set in the future, they also used very retro styles, like from the 1970s, to show that the future is not that far off and it's not as um, distant from us and it could happen. And I think that was what The Handmaid's Tale costuming also wanted to do. Right. Well, I mean, you know, with The Handmaid's Tale, so um, the costume designer is Anne Crabtree. Yes. Um, for seasons one and two, and then for season three, it's Natalie Bronfman, who has been who worked with um Crabtree from the very first season, and yeah, I really like that. Um, well, I've actually watched a video about the costume design, and I thought that was amazing because, you know, oftentimes we think well, the costume design is just there to support the story, and of course it does that, but it seems in this case that it does more than that, right? That it kind of has its own narrative almost, yes. which is really lovely. Um, and with the movie Her, uh, was that with Casey Storm? Yes, mm-hmm. I think that's the name of the designer, Casey Storm. And I think it's great that, you know, these costume designs, I mean, because it kind of plays on time as well, right? Yes. Linking back to the Mets te- uh, theme for 2020. Um, and it's interesting how then that when you think, well, you have free reign to design and you're not really bound by any one era, that you can then pick and choose, that you can then have, you know, lots of creativity. Um, but still, in the end, you know, what they wear is so important to how that story is perceived and how that story is enjoyed. Um, and of course, you know, sometimes we see that what is seen on screen translates into fashion as well. So another yeah. film that's coming out that, um, well, it's not so much about a dystopian um, future. future per se but really kind of set in history is Greta Gerwig's adaptation of Little Women mm. um, which is going to be well which is a novel written in 1868 by Louisa May Alcott and in this particular film well the trailer has emerged um, and we can see that there are a lot of prairie looks so I mean, what do we mean by the prairie look maybe we can explain that a little bit so the prairie look is kind of like, you know, using um, chintzy florals, there are ruffles, there are folds, there's lots of material. Yeah. It's definitely not body-hugging. Usually the colour scheme is quite pastel, yeah. so we have, like, very gentle, soothing colours. Yeah. So, like, imagine, you know, like, 
mm, I don't know, pale greens, dusty pinks, yeah. so things beige. In, yeah. Things associated with the pastoral, the countryside. That's right. Um, a slow cut off life from modern society. And it's always somehow faded as if like, you know, it's been washed many, many times. It is Mm -hmm. not something worn to just sit and look pretty or for an occasion, but something that's worn every day that still manages to look pretty but is kind of washed out a little bit. So, um, this particular movie that's going to come out, well, they have all these like, you know, prairie looks. So, really full-length dress. It's very modest as well, right? So, you definitely don't have any body-hugging kind of silhouette going on or any um, revelations, more like concealment than revelation of the body. And we're also seeing, of course, that, well, in a lot of articles now, they're saying how the fact that this Little Women show is coming out means that the prairie look or the prairie style is going to continue into Mm -hmm. 2020. And we've certainly been seeing lots of that. I mean, this was also a hot style in the 1970s. Yes, I feel like the 1970s has been coming back forever yeah. <laughs> in the 2000s because like, yeah, right? I mean, 1970s, there was a sort of disco style that was in yeah. like a while ago and it was just like referencing the 70s. Yes. We seem very obsessed with that. But yeah. also, um, the some of the key people that we've spoken of, I think, uh, of, uh, spoken of today, I think have another thing in common and that's that they are very female-centric view on history, on dress, on the experience of being. So the female writers that you've mentioned, like Little Women, um, uh, the female filmmakers as well, the, the female, female costume yeah, designers. Exactly, and Sofia Coppola is like very obsessed with rituals of femininity and yeah. the like, female experience. And girl culture. Yeah, mm. and then of course the, the inspiration for the exhibition, mm-hmm. Virginia Woolf and mm. the Bloomsbury Group. Yeah, and even with, you know, the designers, the fashion designers who have taken on the prairie look. I mean, definitely Cecily Bunsen, we've mentioned her before. Um, love, love, love. Love, <laughs> absolutely. There are also lots of, like, fast fashion adaptations of that I'm seeing everywhere. Yeah. So, like, lots of, like, baby doll dresses, um, just really comfortable. And, I mean, even for us, we like that look, don't yeah. we? I mean, we, we like wearing that. It's comfortable. On days when I'm feeling a bit blah, I like wearing that because it makes me feel cocooned. Yeah. Or like I'm lost and protected in my clothing, which is nice. Um, and I think if you think further about this look, there's also this very popular brand called The Vampire's Wife. Have you heard of that? No. Oh, so Vampire's Wife is launched by Suzy Cave. That's the designer's name. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so apparently she mm. created this particular dress. Um which, you know, is like this ruffle-trimmed, full-length dress. It looks almost like a curtain. I mean, not only because of, like, the silhouette and the way it hangs and how it has ruffles um, at the bottom of the, the hem, dress, yeah. you know, but also the material. So it's definitely very chintzy, yeah. um, very, like, velvet-looking colours. You're a shorter things. version of this today. I am. This is from Matt Thread. <laughs> yeah, I'm really enjoying my rental as <laughs> rental service, as you can see. Um, yeah, and it's very floral. It's nice. Well, and so it's called The Vampire's Wife. And, you know, we're just looking at this particular mm. um, article on Vogue.co.uk where this is this has been a trend, you know, just really rich colours, but really modest and not figure-hugging. Yeah, it yeah. reminds me a lot of, like, from... I mean, all these things that we've been talking about, like the handmade Tale, the prairie look, these are things that 
were also in that article about mm-hmm. the rise of modest fashion Definitely. by Naomi Fry. Yeah, right. And there's a fantastic issue, Vestoy issue, uh, on slowness that I really enjoyed. And I don't know if Bolton will make any references to the ideas that they've put forth, but in that particular issue, they were also looking at things like weaving as something that creates fabric in a slow manner. They were looking at people who wear um, kind of sort of uniforms like priests and nuns who wear habits and they had an interview with a priest about what it feels like wearing one of those robes and he mentions the weight and the length of the sleeves create a slow a slowing down of his gestures on an everyday life going through with this like heavy robes does seem to put some weight mm-hmm. on on every single action like do I really need to lift my arm? <laughs> <laughs> um, and and it's mo- it's a considered way of of being in your garments of slowing down and um, that was a, a very interesting essay and also another one that they looked at was the idea of borrow and like mending clothing so this idea of like taking time and mending and being slow and considered mm. about your actions in mm. everyday life. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. With it. I mean, it would be nice also just to kind of slow down. I mean, you know, whenever we think about slow fashion, right, um, we think about it not only as clothes, but as a lifestyle. So it's interesting they bring up all these processes that require time, that require more thought as well, right, as opposed to consuming fast fashion where we don't really think about it. What I find interesting now that you mentioned this is, you know, we're thinking about slow fashion and how... Um, it would be really nice for us to experience life in a slow manner, which is why I think all these, you know, handmaid's tale or little women, they're also very appealing in the sense that it seems like a simpler life. And also we're thinking about our future and what that would hold kind mm. of thing. Um, but I'm also wondering about, you know, our own um, experience, our own mm, donning of like dresses that pertain to slow fashion. So for instance, if we think about Cecily Bunsen, you know, we were talking about how we can't really afford the dresses for sure. <laughs> then we were like, let's look at what Zara's offering, offering <laughs> or like, let's look at what fast fashion labels are offering. And I know for a fact that like, our students are definitely buying into this trend, this prairie look trend, but they're definitely not buying it from labels that advocate slow fashion. They're av- buying it from fast fashion labels, which they can afford. So then it kind of becomes... I don't know. I mean, I don't really know what I'm concluding from there. <laughs> but um, it's the so idea it's of, like, like est- how there's a binary between... Yeah, and also how we are aestheticizing what slow fashion looks like. Mm-hmm. And instead of and then marketing having the it. real thing, yeah, yeah, we are marketing it. And so we can have a fast fashion version of that. Yeah, so it's like a fast fashion version of slow fashion. <laughs> which is mind-boggling. Yeah. But yeah, that happens. Honestly, I don't think some of these things would be in the exhibition. <laughs> no. I so I, I'm excited, but also mm. I don't, I don't want to put too much yeah. of this. And you know, like thinking about slow fashion and how we are also obsessing nowadays about the sustainability of fashion, which is definitely an important question to ask. But don't you think sometimes then that you think well. Um, how are they going to be sustainable about it, you know, in terms of dressing the celebrities as well? You know, I mean, I know for a fact that there will be lots of hours and materials and, like, ideas and, and whatnot, you know, being spent on making sure that the celebrities look great, that it becomes, like, you know, the event of the year um, on the red carpet. 
and then it just brings me back to how you know in the end we can talk about how fashion needs to be fast or needs to be slow or you know the fact that they are fast or slow and that sustainability is something we need to be concerned about to be um you know because we need to be just conscious of it and it's a responsible thing to do but in the end we still enjoy fashion for what it is in all its forms and it's not possible to be like 100% sustainable 100% slow and I think that's quite a thing to understand right because sometimes people can be quite Mm. strident about it but I also feel like the rise of fashion exhibitions also points to this other experience of experiencing fashion and knowing fashion and like being very nerdy about fashion history and about knowledge about fashion and this creates a different thing to consume Mm. and perhaps if you consume more of that you might consume less of them (laughs) the actual object I don't know we can hope that's (laughs) a good dream okay yeah so I guess that's us for today we're gonna end on a wispy (laughs) kind of note and an anachronistic yeah, and I'm just like thinking about how you know all the images that um are used to market prairie looks are always like you know looking into the distance, like what's gonna happen, and then like the wind is blowing, the sun is shining, um it's all quite positive actually. Yeah. So we're gonna end on that visual note. Um. So yes. thank you, <laughs> thank you very much for listening to us. Um, please do follow us on Instagram at in the vitrine. And if you like what you hear, um, do also follow us on SoundCloud or Spotify or Apple Podcasts and give us a review if you like what you hear. Um, And we would always love to hear from you. So please feel free to send us an email or a DM through our social media channels. Thank you very much. So till the next time, bye. Bye.